Welcome to the Two Hip Podcast. All right, this week's guest is a good friend. I've known her for a very long time, going back to the days of the uh, What Theater back at Syracuse, a bunch of shows. And she's done a lot of things since then. We've been involved in a few projects together, which we can get into in more detail. Uh, one of them was my play Broker Bankrolled that I think um, might have been mentioned on this podcast before. And a, a ton of other things. I think she looks a lot like Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, too. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, if you're trying to picture uh, what this person looks like. And uh, her day job is as a uh, project management professional at the Mace Group. And she does a ton of stuff on the side, really into um, gaming, cosplay, comics, anime, Rupithon, a billion other things I'm sure I'm missing. But why don't we just dive into it? Welcome this week's guest, Beryl Tate Johnson Seaburger. Hello! Hello, hello, Beryl. Thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on. I think that I've had some sort of people that are interested in gaming, even Dan King, who was the first guest who makes games, but I don't know if anyone is like as into games and anime as you, which is interesting because, yeah, I had Dan and Alex. They might be offended by me saying this, but I feel like you, you really, it goes deep. Oh my god. I'm I feel like I get this false credit for being very into video games because of Rupithon. Um <laughs> but Rupithon is pretty much the bulk of the gaming that I do each year. I think um in the rankings I think Dan probably got me beat by a long shot. Okay. Um <laughs> I, f- I yeah, I get a lot of the gaming culture through Osmosis because of the Rupithon team and um and my fiance is very 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 much the gamer of the household, but uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I got a, I got a lot of the terminology though, so I can get some 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 street cred. Well, I think another good thing to do would be maybe um, rather than me try to guess wildly at, at details <laughs> about your life, uh, why don't you explain yourself? Explain yourself. The hostile segment where you explain you like you're on trial. So as you said, I'm a project management professional, so I'm in the construction industry, Um, and a lot of my side projects, varietous as they are, include uh, Rupithon, which is um, a charity video gaming organization that we've been doing for, this is our 10th year, we're prepping for our 10th annual marathon, and we donate to charity, Um, and the recent years we've been adding another uh, event for New Year's, but every summer we do about 90 hours at least of live broadcasting various games from the Legend of Zelda franchise. We give away prizes, um, so that's a big chunk of time. And cosplay, always on the brain. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, a full-time hobby. Um, we're basically taking a break now because we're physically out of space in our apartment, but other than that, costuming always, always at the forefront. <laughs> And then a lot of volunteering at the moment. We're in the thick of the U.S. first robotic season. And yes, if you that looks happen awesome. I, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more, but go on. I'm sorry. <gasps> well, don't don't give me that window, man. I will give you <laughs> way more information than you require. But uh, yeah, long story short, if you attend pretty much any of the first Long Island events at any of the levels for any age of kids, I'm the master of ceremony, so I'm the voice that you will hear. Fantastic. 
Beryl's voice, sort of, um, as you can hear right now, very harsh and aggressive. So you probably wouldn't want to listen to that a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're um, going to get sick of me one of these days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I realized I made the Starbucks reference, by the way, because mm. I realized that I hadn't I was behind the times on Battlestar. So like Battlestar Galactica. If people need me to say the whole thing, oh, yeah. um, the re the reimagined version, the, the reimagined version, yeah, like two thousand four to nine, I think, somewhere around there. Yeah, um, hang on. And uh, you, you, I'm sure you get this all the time, so I, I don't think it's a surprise. But you look a lot like Katie Sackhoff, who played Starbuck in the in the show, and um, you had dressed up, I think, for her in college for like a Halloween party one year. And I just thought it was like this badass like cosplay costume you whipped up out of nowhere. And I was I was just like felt like such an idiot. And now like I, I go back, I'm like, oh my god, she was like she's spot on, looks like Starbuck and dressed up as Starbuck. It was so perfect. I like and I completely was just not aware of how perfect that costume was at the time. <laughs> I gotta oh my god, I gotta do that costume again. Um, cause I kind of MacGyvered it in college. But yeah, I've gotten on three separate occasions in three different states. At like totally different points in my life, I think somebody on the San Francisco train when the show was first airing was like, oh my mm-hmm. god, you look exactly like Starbucks. You must get this all the time. <laughs> and then when, yeah, I was in Syracuse working at the, the reading room desk and one of the other architecture students was just kind of cocking his head to the side and looking at me and being like, you ever get you look exactly like the actress that was on Battlestar? And, was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then one other time and I just, I can't get away from it. So that's definitely, I've gotten Natalie Portman once. Okay, I can see that a little bit, yeah. But I think Starbucks far and away is my celebrity doppelganger for sure. Yeah, so but I sort of wanted to bring it up because it it ties together to the sort of cosplay costume Mm. aspect, I feel like, like right out of the gates. That's definitely a really prominent aspect of like what you do creatively. Do you now, do you and Julianne, um, Julianne is uh, your fiance, by the way. Yes. um, And do you and Julianne have, uh, do you still have the, the cosplay? group like business or like the one cantaloupe is that the name yes yes that is correct um so the collective group myself julianne and my best friend holly um our group is called cantaloupe cosplay and we are on facebook uh and you can find us there so we don't do any kind of uh, on on in the podcast as well oh fantastic so yeah so that's the kind of the umbrella we operate under and we've done group cosplays together we've done individual cosplays and we kind of get um we all have very different preferences in the costumes we like to do because julianne is the master seamstress she's done hoop skirts and all manner of complicated sewing things i tried to thread a sewing machine once and it did not go well (laughs) so (laughs) i'm staying in the nice safe zone with uh the kind of hardware as we say so i pref- much prefer armor and prop making and things of oh that yeah nature. yeah you've, you've definitely made some good good props as far as that goes at least the ones i've seen like on facebook and things like that oh yeah i mean need to make some Battlestar ones actually if i do that again there you go it ties so, back around oh yeah <laughs> i'm gonna get uh, a viper model one of these days oh yeah uh so the other thing too i think is the my audience is just you know it's in the billions at this point Billions and billions. <laughs> and so could you articulate maybe what cosplay is? Like what, you know, what, what it is for you? Like why, maybe the why? Absolutely. Yeah, the why of it. And actually, you know what, though? I'm realizing I missed a huge, extremely vital segment. Oh. I'm going to rewind for a second, and then we're going to dive into this before we get too far into the, the deep 
intricacies of cosplay. Oh, yes. Um, it's time for the two hypocrisy. Two hypocrisy. Like the recapture for authenticity. Meant to be easy on humans, hard on hipster bots. We got to bring this back around to authenticity. I've been asking you all, all about your life, but we got to mm. sort of get into the authentic aspect of this. Before we dive deep, what, what, what do you feel was a moment in your life where you, where you felt like maybe you were a hypocrite? And it could really be anything. It doesn't have to be some simple, funny thing. It doesn't have to be like... It's yeah. a very difficult topic. And I really, <laughs> I'm really interested to see in kind of future episodes how right. it fleshes out and how people sort of understand it. So yeah. Julianne and I were actually hashing this out and trying to be like, well, God, what is what 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 counts? What's a good example of that? <laughs> um, and the best one, I feel like it's one of those things that I knew exactly what you were talking about. But it's something that you can't pin down unless it's happening. Right. Or it's like you know, relatively it's very, recent moment. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to pull at will from your memory. Um, but the one thing Julian and I was, uh, were talking about was I've, and I've talked about this with some coworkers is just, um, you know, very easy in, in my personal life to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very contra, I'm a very confident extroverted person. Um, and I, you know, come across as <laughs> fairly aggressive and whatnot, and kind of very gung-ho and very quick to be like, oh, you should take the fight to them and everything, which is definitely my attitude and something I can execute in my personal life. But I think mm -hmm. the hypocrisy comes in because I'm not necessarily that same person um, at work. And I think that's a lot of uh, something a lot of people struggle with, that there's, you know, there's a person, a bit of a personality flip, a bit of a confidence drop when you're dealing with, particularly I work in the corporate world. Right. Um, and I think that was probably the best example we could come up with. That's that's actually a great example. Yeah, I love that. That's I feel like you've passed the test. Huzzah! Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I think that I brought it up a little bit before in a previous episode, but but yeah, we didn't really dive into it, I guess. But that there is that issue about yeah, how much can you reveal who you are at work? Mm. Um, I mean, I even had I had a conversation with my own mom a few been probably a few months now, but she, you know, she felt like someone asked a question, I guess, at some seminar they were having about trying to open up and, and feeling comfortable in front of your coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. And someone said, like, you know, who feels like they're a different person at home? And and my mom raised her hand and it was men of you know, one of a hand, handful that got picked, and she said the you know, you guys would be horrified by the person I am at home. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think that's like, it was really intriguing to me because I, I feel like my mom's a nice person. She's like very well-meaning and, you know, she's rough around the edges maybe, but, but I think she's so well-meaning that I think people would accept who she is a hundred percent. And, um, and it's really interesting that people feel the need to sort of put this wall up. What do you, what do you feel like is the most, difficult aspect is, is there like a like a literal aspect of your life that that's not exposed to your coworkers? do they not know about cosplay at all oh no and I, so it's not the it's not necessarily the divulging okay. of the geekiness because i'm a very proud you know i'm a very out <laughs> geek yes <laughs> um, and it's you know whenever they have those icebreaker activities in the court they're like oh give us a fun fact about yourself and i'm always like you know those crazy people that dress up for comic-con i'm one of those people <laughs> uh so it's not necessarily that it's you know in a social occasion where you are doing icebreaker activities or you're going out and having a drink or you're talking around you know lunch um that's not necessarily the difficult part it's definitely when 
you know, you have those more serious conversations and you're really struggling with learning something new Mm -hmm. in the professional world and you have to ask for help and, you know, you're having more serious conversations about Mm. asking for promotions and asking for things you don't know how to ask for. And there's, you have no real context for things. I think that's where it's kind of really hard to trust your confidence. Yeah. I feel like, um, uh, my wife and I were, were talking about how it might just be one of those things that takes a certain amount of time, but we were in our first job, like they didn't even know that I did theater, which <laughs> like you, you, I mean, you know how much I love theater and I'm sure already people are sick of how much I've talked about on this podcast. But the, you know, the point is that like, that was a whole aspect of my life that they didn't even know about at that job. And it wasn't out of like necessarily being overtly secretive. I just didn't happen to have any shows while I was working at that place. But it's one of those things where I like, I'm like, how did I, how did I, why did I do that? And I just felt like anything I did or said could have some impact. And so I felt like, oh, maybe I just, I won't really dive into that. And I feel like I've completely sort of flipped around. And I always wonder, like, is it a matter of time? Like, like you've sort of gotten to a certain point in your career where you feel like you have that confidence or is it, is it something that you could do younger? And that's always something I'm trying to ask. Like if anyone mm. listening is, is younger, is there, can you be in your, you know, can you be high school age? Can you be in your twenties and be like, like, you know, early twenties right out of school and just be so confident that you are you all the time at work. And it's the same person night and day. Um, I feel like that's, it's almost one of those things you have to like grow into. And so I, and maybe that's just my perspective. So I'm, I'd be curious if you feel like, do you, do you feel like you could grow into it? I mean, yeah. the fact that you're talking about it is like a step in that direction. I would yeah, imagine. that's a good, it's a good question. And I feel like I've, I've talked about this with folks in terms of public speaking. Cause I do a lot of public speaking, um, between emceeing and I do present panels at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's a, it's almost part of it is I think just being familiar with your environment. And once you're comfortable with your environment and the people around you, a certain extent of it comes naturally. But I remember some presentation I made in high school. And then also when I was an intern kind of getting used to, you know, and having to ask for so much help to be like, I can't get the printer to work. Can somebody help me with the printer? (laughs) And I just understood that someone cracking a joke or being a little more open about something or a little bit less professional about something was so comforting to me. Mm that that's something I immediately tried to turn around and share with other people being like, you know, to break the ice, to immediately kind of make people more comfortable to be like, Hey, it's okay to make a mistake or it's okay to ask for help or, Uh you know, Oh yeah. To share. And I think just, you know, sharing the kind of otter parts, you know, the, the say, let's say more authentic parts of yourself Right. The Are you talking second... about otters like the animals or odd like OD? <laughs> Just you said otter parts. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, no, interesting. I think more like, I mean, well, you know, animal parts, but I, th- right. I think more of like the geek culture. Yes, yes. Um, and everything. Like, I feel like the second people find out you're a geek and they're not, there's a certain amount of um, trust they immediately have in your ability to, you know, handle whatever they may say. Because some people, it amazes me sometimes the things people are embarrassed about sharing at work or embarrassed about talking about. um, Yeah, like whatever subcultures you're involved with. Yeah. And and like nerd culture at this point is really not even subculture (laughs) anymore. 
No, it is not. But I imagine, uh, it, you know, we're similar age. When you when we were younger, I felt like it was still it was still pretty awkward to be like a nerdy kid. But maybe sort of the tail end of that being like a, t- a personality type that got picked on. Like to me, oh it, it, I didn't feel like I was getting picked on uh, as much. But it, it it was like a sort of out group in some ways. Oh yeah, I remember my first ever trip to a comic book store was a teeny, teeny little tiny shop, maybe a hundred square feet with a counter and everything. And I went in to buy with my mother to buy Pokemon cards because <laughs> that was the only place they had Pokemon cards was at the comic book store. Mm-hmm. They had a little a cardboard cutout of Charmander hanging outside <laughs> the door or something. And I went in, it was like two, you know, very big bearded men hanging and one of them was at the counter and one of them was reading and I was just like I don't feel right here <laughs> I would not have come in here without my mother and now of course you know it's it's completely changed like pretty much anybody could be in that group you wouldn't really be able to paint a picture of it you know in advance oh yeah you never know you never know who might be you know one of my coworkers who's a very um you know I don't want to perpetuate the stereotype but she was one of those people that I would never imagine you know, sweet voiced, um, feminine dressing person. And she's a crazy call of duty person. <laughs> and I just, I love that. I love yeah. when you find those things out. Yeah. And it's like, this doesn't really align with what I would have thought. Yeah. I, I think our mutual friend, Alex Coulomb, uh, he actually has pointed out that like, I am that sort of big football player type, like visually. Mm. And I, I literally don't think of myself like that at all. <laughs> you are a bear, Danton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bear, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and, well, depending on what group, I might not be a bear. <laughs> but hey, it's all good. But yeah, I feel like I just put off that vibe. Mm. And it's sort of like the big, douchey, like, meathead. That's the vibe I put off. So anything I say <laughs> usually is like, oh, oh, he's got a brain. Okay, like, he's he's okay. And it, it's like, it's, it can only get better. So that's not a bad place to start, in my opinion, like, af- mm. after thinking about it. But I, I actually, um, I, I've occasionally been doing stand-up lately. And so as I was, like, trying to pinpoint what people would think of me in my audience, I actually sent texts around to my friends and and said like what do you what is your first impression of me like if you were just meeting me and they, they a lot of them said that they just said that I have like this like big like football-y, like very jock stereotype and so yeah I feel like it's really nice when there's like a contrast between what people expect and I was always I was into Pokemon like way back my in fact my first email account was Geodude with some numbers after it <laughs> but it was like Geodude at, at Hotmail or something that you know. And so I, I was like, even even today, people hear that my first email was Geodude. And like, wow, that's like going way back. Hotmail. It's nice to be just like be you, regardless of what shell you might be in. Definitely. I actually I'm thinking of um, a good example of this is just um, so when I got hired um, by the Mace Group, I had a double undercut or just kind of a full undercut that was pretty high. I had some of my hair bleached. I have seven ear piercings and I forget what I wore to the interview, but it was one of those things, you know, my mother was like, you know, you're never going to get hired with that haircut (laughs) and all of these things and the earrings and just the haircut. I've had color in my hair and everything. And it was one of those things where, you know, there's a certain smug part of you. It's like, well, they don't want to hire me with this haircut. I don't want to work for them anyway. 
Exactly. Um, but at the other, <laughs> on the at the other hand of it, whenever I meet someone and they have any of those kind of subculture things where they're like wearing something interesting, or they maybe they have a couple piercings, um, the best way I could I've found to describe it is it just implies a third dimension to this person. And I feel like if you, you know, anyone you see on the street, if the second you see something, you know, you can kind of clock somebody mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, they're a football type or whatever. And then maybe you see they're wearing a certain pin or cuffling or just some kind of, or they're wearing weird shoes or they've got fun laces on or something. Anything that kind of takes your expectation of that stereotype and just bumps it a little bit, right? I think is, is always good. And that's something I've always been like, nope, you know, I am going to wear all of my earrings to the interview because I, I don't, it's, I feel like it's a barrier or it's some way to combat that first impression. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. One of the things that jumps out to me is I had, um, I've worked at a couple places like architecture firms that are, that are not even super uptight necessarily, but they had like a no facial hair policy and I am very beardy. Mm. So that didn't last very long. Like I think I, I think actually I, I tend to show up at interviews kind of like what you said, like, this is me. Like I, I came in with a beard and I think I got hired with like these full beards. And then all of a sudden I just noticed like beards popping up in the office. And like, this has been in multiple jobs, not even just architecture firms, but like other places I've worked where they had like a policy against beards. And then all of a sudden there's like this beard rebellion happening. Can't help but think like, this is kind of awesome. Like, yeah, sure. If that's what you want to do, wear a beard. Why is it that big of a deal? Unless you're in like food service where I can understand some logistical reasons Oh, yeah. It just seems silly. I 1,000% agree. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, like, explaining your interest in cosplay, I guess. And we can try to dive into, like, the authentic aspects of it. But first, I just kind of want to understand your interest in it and maybe just articulate what it is. I think at the core, people understand that it's dressing up. But I think there's more to it. There's more to, like, uh, in that group that you're trying to hang out with. So could you sort of explain some of that? Oh, sure. So I think every every cosplayer has, like, when... When did you first realize you were a cosplayer? Um, <laughs> it's your coming out story. You know, it all starts with like, oh, I took Halloween <laughs> way too seriously and, and something like that. Um, but so I got into cosplay. I always took Halloween very seriously. And then um, high school, we went to uh, Long Island Convention Icon, which has uh, changed oh, changed management over the years. But uh, we went to oh, kind of went out back and I, I hot glued a costume together and had some friends help sew it. Cause a guy still couldn't figure out the sewing machine <laughs> and went just because it was, it was one of those things we had heard about. And a couple of our friends that we had known had gone to this and we went and we had an absolutely fantastic time. And so we just kept doing it. Didn't do a huge amount of it during college. I did uh, squire. Who's the British equivalent of Robin. Who's actually named Beryl. Mm. And I did that. Um, but I think when I really understood what it meant for me was when I, I lived in London for a year and I had a, I had a roommate, but we weren't hugely like best friends. And so it was a very solitary time and I was away from Julianne for a long time. And I made, I decided I was going to do London Comic Con and they have two a year. They have one in October and one in May, MCM London Comic Con. And I built a halo suit out mm. of like cereal boxes and <laughs> I think I've seen a picture of this. I'm, I'm hoping it. Yeah. It's on, it's on of. cantaloupe. It's on cantaloupe, um, cantaloupe cosplay on Facebook. You can find it. 
And it was the first kind of full body suit of armor I had built. And I just really appreciated the Zen experience of making. And you'd always like making stuff and crafting stuff. You know, my first robotics alumni, there's always that certain appeal. But the fact that it was something very, very comforting to do when I was by myself. Mm-hmm. And then to go to the conventions, because I took this to the second one, and to go to these conventions and then to have this great social experience. And I wore that Squire costume again. And it's great being a British character in London and then have everyone be like, oh my God, Squire, nobody ever dresses as Squire. And I was like, oh, I'm surprised. I'm actually American. Uh, <laughs> so that was a great surprise. And I had one of the, one of the friend, um, one of the comic book writers retweeted me. And so there's this, I feel like there's a beautiful balance in cosplay between mm-hmm. the making aspect of it, which can really soothe your introverted part of you. Because there's this very zen thing when you get into the groove of making something. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have the convention itself. And you have the social aspect of making where you're asking people, you know, how did you do this? Or da 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 And you're going up to people at the conventions and you're asking, oh my god, that's amazing. How did you do that? Your costume looks great. Can I take a picture? That is the – that soothes the extroverted part of you. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, it is very, it's very a, social. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've only done, uh, I, I haven't, I've been to comic cons and conventions, but I haven't actually dressed up, but I, I have done the, uh, what is it like the Renaissance fairs where you dress up and my, my, I have an aunt who's a very good seamstress and, and made like authentic period pieces. And so when we went this one particular, uh, year, we were like a king and queen and just really decked out like this most amazing costumes and it was like the most fun, but the king and queen, like I was disconnected because they, everyone was treating us like too high royalty. Like they weren't really socializing with us. And when I, I dressed up coincidentally as a squire, not the character, <laughs> but the, the, uh, the person in medieval times, I guess. What, what is a squire? I guess like a, a knight in training, right? Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that sort of the appropriate term? I don't really yeah, know. Yeah. You're a page first and then you're a squire and right. then you're a knight. Yes. So I was a uh, I was a squire and had like an actual sword attached, like one of the real ones that I own, and that was way more fun. Like everyone was interacting with me, the people that worked there, people who didn't. They, like everyone thought I worked there. It's just like for someone who's very into like performance, it's just like a very fun thing to sort of interact with people. But what I like about yours that just takes it to the next level that I couldn't appreciate is like the the craft of actually making it and some of your your costumes. Um, are just like you can just they look so insanely realistic for things that <laughs> are not real um which really that's actually as i'm saying it a lot i'm like oh this is kind of all hand in hand with like authenticity and like you're portraying these characters who in themselves are sort of not authentic but then you're kind of adding this layer of authenticity even though it's oh, man. not real um uh, this is like inception <laughs> yeah, this is where cosplay can get deep. And there's actually, um, if you haven't listened to it, Adam Savage uh, does an excellent TED Talk called My Love Letter to Cosplay. Oh, nice. And okay. he describes yeah. it way better than I ever could. But he basically, uh, I think he kind of finishes it with, it. it's like costumes are the way we reveal ourselves to each other. Mm. And he describes this beautiful story of how he dressed up as uh, No-Face from Spirited Away. 
Mm. And he went to Comic-Con and was handing out gold cookies or gold, um, you know, uh, sorry, uh, chocolate coins. Right. And he was handing these out. And oh, I think at I've some point in I the convention, we yeah, about. there yeah. you go. And at some point in the convention, people start grabbing his hand and slamming the coins back into his hand and being like, no, you take it back. <laughs> and it took him a minute to realize that it's because in the story, in Spirited Away, it's bad luck to take love, to take gold from No Face. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm sure every cosplayer has similar stories like that. Where people are tr- like inserting themselves into other into each other's stories. Well, and, and like another way. reality too. That's like not not real, but it becomes real, especially by everyone sort of joining in collectively and agreeing that we're all agreeing that this is like a real scenario, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a real thing, sort of in that moment, which is kind of interesting. It's just a it's a very different way because there's right there's sitting opposite someone and just talking over coffee about like, oh yeah, I saw that movie. It was really good. Hey, that anime was really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And having a conversation about it versus you're in costume, I'm in costume. We're going to act part of this out or we're going to have, a, it's a totally different level of communicating, you know, how a story affected you. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it's, I don't even know how to describe this. It's, it's very per- performative, but, but also just like this like static thing at the same time too. Like it's like, a, like you're capturing a picture mm. and then it just like comes to light. Like it's almost like this, I've seen videos where there's like a picture. Usually it's like a horror movie actually, but like a picture that then comes to life and becomes like a 3d space. And that's, I, I feel like that's what cosplay is. It's like this, like a 3d conversion, I guess. I don't know of like a, of a 2d, medium not always 2d but you sort of get the vibe of what i'm saying i guess oh yeah like a daily profit photo yes there you go daily profit perfect example everyone reads the daily profit um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's awesome i want to dive into like a little bit about the craftiness i think ties into a lot of what you're doing there but i'm curious about um I, i guess does it connect to uh first could you explain maybe oh yeah what that is because i think this is sort of directly ties together my pleasure for anybody that doesn't know first is stands for for inspiration and recognition of science and technology and they're a nonprofit organization that's been around um for many years uh so i am basically a <laughs> I'm an evangelist preacher for first activities and they run robotics competitions for kids so it's all designed to get kids into science and technology and engineering and problem solving. So they run kind of first Lego league, first Lego league junior for elementary kids and grade schoolers. And then high school, they have two programs, first tech challenge and uh, first robotics competition. And so I'm an alumna of the first robotics competition where they build uh, robots play three on three huge games. And we're, these are big machines. These are, is this like you that know, battle three. Bot show? It is not like battle bots. <laughs> Battlebots, because okay, yeah, yeah I, I don't get me wrong, I love me some Battlebots, <laughs> Biohazard forever. Um, but it was, it's a much more cooperative game. So the kind of un, the motto of the organization is gracious professionalism, and it's all about trying to get kids into good sportsmanship and okay. you know solving problems. So this is one of those things where we're building three by three by five foot, two hundred pound metal machines. Mm-hmm. They play three on three in games, and it's a totally different game every year oh nice every year in january they reveal 
a new game. So sometimes one year it was medieval themed, one year it was steampunk themed, one year it was just stacking Rubbermaid bins. <laughs> um, this year it's called uh, Deep Space. Uh, all four of the games are space themed. Okay. And so I'm an alumna of that. And that's what I did. And that kind of fed into the way I describe it to people is like half of my personality is a result of first. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> in terms of just, it's where I get the presentation skills. It's where I got, you know, grace under pressure. It's where you get problem solving from. It's where you get, you know, interest in making and interest in programming and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I volunteer with them pretty much all of the winter. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that whole motto. I mean, just being able to sort of um, learn through trial and error to be like, okay with failure and like learn how to work around it, like dealing with shit happens scenarios. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of different things and uh, that change on the fly, especially in like a short turnaround sort of time frame. And uh, yeah, I think those are great skills. That's awesome that you still are involved with that organization. Oh yeah. It's, I can't, I could go on and on and we could do an entire, an entire <laughs> podcast just about first and what it means to a lot of people. But in terms of, I'm trying to think of, in terms of authenticity, how would I connect it to authenticity? I think one of the biggest things is being able, and I feel like this would, this would connect us to uh, theater pretty well, is okay. just being able to hash out ideas mm-hmm. in a completely not taking it personal way. And I didn't realize how rare of a skill that was until you get to something like architecture school where you're mm-hmm. being criticized on an s- incredibly regular basis. <laughs> um, and I actually had um, Professor Yoder, uh, was one of my studio professors one year. Yes. And Batman. he just outright asked me after one of the <laughs> that, Batman. What, the, what was the theory that we think he was Batman? Yeah, Dan um, King thought he was Batman. Dan King thinks he's Batman. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll find out someday. Who knows? He, I guess we shouldn't find out, though, if he is a good Batman. <laughs> we'd ruin it. We'd ruin it. We can't tell anyone. <laughs> Um, Hopefully no but, one listens to this podcast. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want that. Why would I want that? Go on. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Um, so he, I think, outright asked me after one of my presentations or something. He was like, "What's what's your what's your deal? Like, what's your background or anything?" And immediately knowing what he was talking about, I was like, first robotics. That's mm-hmm. where that's where everything that you're sensing." is coming from. Um, and I explained it to him and I hopefully, hopefully he got one of his kids involved. It's something about understanding that ideas you put forward and people criticizing your ideas are separate from criticizing you. Right. Um, that's a hard thing. I still have trouble with. <laughs> oh, oh my God. It's really hard. But I think first kind of prepares you for it because there is no brainstorming session mm-hmm. like the beginning of a first season brainstorming session. Cause the second that game is revealed, you get you get people screaming at each other, being like, "Oh, we're gonna do." There's always at least one person, and we play f- first kickoff bingo. There's always at least one person, one freshman that suggests, "Can the robot fly?" And there's <laughs> always someone that suggests, "Oh my God, maybe it's a water game this year." Um, <laughs> and so, but immediately, and it gets kind of vicious. But in a way, you know, you don't want it to get too vicious. But it's in a way, it really helps you un- learn to put your ideas out there and at this, you know, put, be really vulnerable with your ideas, but at the same time, be able to critique in a productive way and be able to take critique and take really cr- truthful critique. And I feel like, yeah, sometimes we get a little lost in the, well, you have to break it to them gently. And I was like, why? <laughs> well, And there's, there's a little bit of stubbornness after you've, 
you're used to this though i've realized like mm. we, we become like stubborn people in that mm. even though we're okay taking criticism we're also like there's there's moments where you have to power through the criticism whether you agree with it or not and and like to get to an end game especially in like time sensitive scenarios and and you're just like no i have to get to the end it doesn't matter what happens with the scenario <laughs> how good it is how bad it is like we need to get to the end of this goal whatever it may be and you know the one thing that jumps out in my mind right now is broker bankroll which is the show we worked on together <laughs> after school uh, it was a, a off broadway show in like chelsea in new york um a few years back for a festival i can't even remember the festival it was just terrible uh, the, the venus venus adonis, the venus adonis right. festival yes the well-known the the, the glorious <laughs> the world famous it's international really um mm. the venus adonis festival but uh man i was the most stubborn human on that i, I like i still feel bad about that by the way like that <laughs> that i like i feel like i just tortured everyone involved for, so no. people listening who might not know before we, before before I apologize for like 10 minutes, the scenario was I wrote a play that was really undercooked and I submitted it to this festival and I got in and it's kind of one of those festivals that's like, it's it's it was a good festival, but at the same time, it's like kind of weird times. Like I think we had like a Tuesday, and a Thursday and a Sunday or something like the shows are all scattered. It's very odd. And I was so excited to get into a festival in New York City that I didn't really think about how good the show was. And I, I like tried to scramble to make it better. But in doing that, I like took too long and then I couldn't get a cast and everything together in time. And I just was like scrambling for every aspect of this show. Um, and luckily you came in and helped direct and Julianne was in the show. Um, Zach Zager was in it. Dan King did tech. Um, Amber Orion in Philly. Uh, she acted in it as well. Who am I missing? Anybody? I guess I acted in it. I think that's everyone. Now I'm, I'm like spacing. Am I forgetting something? You were, it was you. Exactly. Zach, Julianne. It was only Amber, four characters in the whole show, yeah, so that's yeah. it. Yeah. So it seems like easy enough, but the cast was split between Philly and New York, and we were traveling and like had to get different venues and just. <laughs> I'm, I'm a like great, a very. It was a great challenge. Great look, challenge. I'm glad you can say it. Like that. <laughs> I, 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 just, I say I, it with I love. I say regret, it with love. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. I think the first thing that struck me about that show, looking back, was I went to Julianne. You were like, "Oh, would you would you direct something?" And I was like, "Absolutely. You don't even have to. Absolutely, just blind <laughs> yes." And then just knowing the experience with what between your writing style and Alex's writing style from doing theater in Syracuse was right. Okay, Danton's written a, a comedy musical about you know, the minor characters from other shows all getting together in a different world. Right. And he's written a, a very kind of, I don't even know if you would call it black comedy or just a weird comedy about his weird roommate from college. So those are my two context shows. Right. And I, I was like, Oh, I'll totally direct this thing for you. And then I read it. And I'm like, this is the, one of the darkest things <laughs> I've ever read. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, but that was oh, the first man. thing that kind of threw me was like, oh my God, I've never, like, I've directed a couple murder farces and um, the, what is, what was the name of uh, Alex's uh, fetishized wall, um, fetishized oh, mall yeah. patron. Oh, 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 what is that um, called? Oh, sorry, uh, Alex, if you're uh, listening. Uh, uh, salty, the salty kiosk. Salty dream, salty kiosk. Yeah, it's, he the had name like four different times. names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, but yeah, yeah I kind of yeah. had like all this context coming into the show. It was like I thought I knew what I was getting into. Oh, that and show was like incredibly dark show where you electrocuted people in a chair with a car battery. And it was a very different. It was great though because it was it was <laughs> kind of nice to do something serious because so many of the shows that we've that we've done were very goofy. Well, you you came in on a serious show too, which is the odd part. The Seagull was sort of a serious show. Oh, that's um, true. Seagull yeah. by uh, was that Chekhov, right? It is Chekhov. Yeah, that was like the that was the first foray that our theater group ever did into like a serious show, and you happened to be. I think that was your first year, right? That was, and I actually, if I remember correctly, who whoever directed that, we found out later they'd actually meant to cast Julianne, but messed our names up. <laughs> <laughs> so even back then you guys yeah oh <laughs> You're yeah like crossing crossing paths oh yeah but day. we're getting married now so it all worked out yes yeah perfect that's actually i'm trying to think how many what relationships there are i mean you guys and then ian and, and Lindsay. i think are there any yeah. others ian uh, and Lindsay, uh keely and jesper oh there uh, you go okay yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of that going around yes awesome but yeah that, that was uh I'm glad you're. I'm trying to look at that show more positively, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, no, I am a thousand percent. It's one of those things that, like, I don't think we should gloss over the fact it was hard. It was hard dealing with people in different cities and kind of finding practice space, like the one practice space we found to do dress rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, having access to this venue. But looking back, it's one of those things, like, uh, you know, the the first alumni comes, the first alumni bit comes out being like good challenge good challenge <laughs> and and just coming from doing theater in college in the auditorium at slocum hall for the architecture school i'm glad to do anything where you can cross cross b- backstage <laughs> that's like the yeah, minimum that's requirement is like i will direct whatever you want as long as i can cross from stage left to stage right behind fucking set <laughs> Yeah, you know, we never, I mean, Slocum, the place that we went to college, where we usually staged the shows, uh, didn't really have that. But even when I did Lord 2, that one also had a problem. The difference there was, like, we built, like, a big wall. And yes. so there was a few more opportunities to kind of cut across. But if someone, like, messed up their stage directions, yeah, you're, like, stuck on the other side. I was always terrified that we would put a prop on the wrong side of the stage. <laughs> and someone would have to, like, lob it across to the other side very quickly mm-hmm. or like covertly hang it and like hand it out from behind a thing so that was always my thing and that was because uh, the first show i directed for you guys was the real inspector hound oh right yeah. and i played a dead body laying on the stage <laughs> and it's quite an experience as a director like you've watched the show you've rehearsed the show so many times and then to i went out introduced the show a gunshot sound effect went off and i would drop dead on the stage <laughs> and it's great, but it was also really sad because I never got to see my show. Right. <laughs> I just got to hear it. And it's it's during a live show, and I can't see anything because my face is turned away from the audience, and I'm trying not to breathe too much. And if there was any, like, hesitation in a line or there was a pause that took long, I would have a panic attack of, like, oh, God, what's gone wrong that I can't? <laughs> do anything about like has yeah. someone totally blanked on a line have a, has a prop been forgotten or something it's a very weird it i'm so glad i did it but it's a very weird way to experience a show that you've directed yeah I, it's funny you say that because i i actually was um i was a dead character in the show for the entire time for a play a short play alex did a few years back that i directed 
uh, at one of the Philly Fringe festivals, I think. <laughs> and it was one of those scenes, like things where I directed a whole series of shows. One of them happened to be Alex's. And <laughs> I, when it came time for the show, same thing. Like I just had to die in the beginning of the show and lay there the whole time. But then I got resurrected at the end, so it was kind of good. Spoiler oh, yeah. alert, by the way, for Alex's show that I can't remember the name of right now. I think it was The Last Man. The Last Man. That was before me. <laughs> wow. So there's and there's so many. We haven't even talked about your day job and all these like fun things you're working on. I'm 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 trying to bring it back to authenticity. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't always. I'm not like super strict about it. I'm, I just kind of want to go with the flow at the same time. You sort of mentioned like you wrote you wrote a response email when we were sort of setting this up, and you had said. Like role play storytelling is that is that different from cosplay in your mind? Like what yes. is? I want to know what that is. Um, so that's a that's a good thing to bring up for authenticity because I was just trying to think of different storytelling and creative activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so forum role playing was kind of my foray into the internet when we first got a computer. <laughs> um, was forum role play. So it was myself, some friends from high school, and people on just general people on the internet mm-hmm. um we found our way to these role-playing forums where you would go and write stories together and you would play everyone would kind of start the forum thread with okay here's a description of the setting vague suggestion of conflict right. and post your character and go and you would post sometimes it was very simple and you would just do a couple of sentences about who you were and then sometimes it would be a full like name age eye color height boom 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 right um, and then you would just write prose back and forth. And we did probably written thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of pages of story. Wow. Over so the it years. It sounds very like D&D-esque, but just sort of on the internet. Effectively. Exactly. And that's why yeah. one of those things I've been so reticent to play D&D for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm joining a campaign that should be starting shortly, but I've, I've, I've never played more than a one-off session because I had this negative reaction to the math Mm -hmm. and kind of adding this aspect into something that I had been storytelling with my best friends for a long, long time. And this is how I met my first boyfriend actually was doing this um, kind of storytelling and just doing nothing but the writing part of it. And Mm -hmm. there's no real combat system. There's no real this. It's just the prose. And yeah. And then it's like, Oh, you're going to make me do math and like, strategy stuff right oh. there's like too much going on with that but the, i like i like the storytelling aspect i mean mm. i obviously do a lot of, i've written shows but i also do the storytelling which i've mentioned a couple times but um but the other thing that is, makes me think about is like storytelling games that i think we've even played together as at like different yes. events over the years and how much fun that is as like a way to communicate and you're like you're creating a story as a group which is really fascinating because it doesn't, and it never works that way in real time. Like for like for a production, it never happens like live. You know, there's mm-hmm. always a lot of back and forth. There's let's write this down, let's revise this, let's have this person who's higher up than us look at it. There's still like a chain of command, but to be like so collaboratively involved, you know, like one of the ones I I, I like off the top of my head, it's sort of like very loosely. It's not as as structured or um, not as structured, not as in depth as what you're talking about. But um, the mafia game that we played together. I was you? just thinking. I was like, nothing like a good game of mafia. <laughs> um, that one is like you're you're basically everyone is gets a character, 
uh, in this t- fictional town, and there's a narrator slash god character who kind of runs the show and tells all these interesting stories about how these people are interacting. And there's a night component and a day component, and people have secret lives at night uh, that get un- unveiled through different activities and, and kind of how they interact. And then everyone plays jury the next day to decide who has to get kicked out of the town. And you're, you're trying to get rid of the mafia. And instead, a lot of times you end up getting rid of like good people or the doctor or the policeman or whatever. Um, but it gets, it get it gets so vicious. And sometimes people get so intense. It, it was amazing. It's one of the most fun games I've ever played. Look it up uh, if you're listening now, but yeah, I think that that's what jumps out to me when you're talking about this sort of storytelling aspect. And I, I actually, I'm trying to tie it back to, to sort of authenticity. I think there's, um, I'm thinking of just one of the things that really struck me um, with Dungeons and Dragons was, well, first of all, the first time I played it was fourth edition, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot more math heavy. And now fifth edition, they've kind of eased up on that. So it's a little more user friendly, let's say. Right. Um, and one of the first things that struck me, because I go as a spectator to a lot of, um, Julianne will play with a large group of our friends, and my uh, best friend Holly, who does Cantaloupe Cosplay with us, is the DM. Mm-hmm. And I'd done a lot of storytelling with her, and I went to just watch a lot of their sessions. And it struck me, and I would love to know a poll of D&D players, how the, does everybody do this? But just... Because I've listened to Adventure Zone and Critical Role, and I so I have some knowledge of other D&D campaigns, but that it struck me that D&D players use first person, not third person, mm. when describing their actions. And oh, yeah, it's a action. subtle difference, yeah. And it's it was something very hard for me, because I've done, we did a, um, actually at a friend's bachelorette party, we did a one-off session that was kind of wedding-themed. And I played a character in that, and it was it took me a couple of turns to be comfortable with doing first person, just right. because it's something viscerally vulnerable about that, and it's very mm. like improv theater level of vulnerability. Um, and I was always really bad at improv. <laughs> like Bus Stop was terrifying for me. It was an incredibly <laughs> fun game to watch, but I did not want to play. Um, so I think D and D was kind of a little nerve wracking for me in that same way. Yeah, that I, I didn't really think about that aspect. Like you're, yeah, whatever you put out, you know, even if there's sort of a structure to it, you you're still coming up with a, a good chunk of it, and there's always that that gamble of like, well, maybe someone will, you know, not like what I did. You know, there's still a little bit of like questioning. Um, you like to think in that group, there's like not as much judgment, <laughs> but I feel like in every zone, you can still feel self conscious about like the story that you're trying to tell. And what you're crafting, you know, anytime that the whole creative process, it sort of exposes who you are at the core, I think. Definitely. I really liked uh, an expression we discovered early on in our forum role playing days was like every character is half you and half a new person. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably it's come from theater, but it's just permeated all of storytelling dumb. Right. Is like, yeah, half you and half a new person. And it's the half you part that's kind of scary. Yes, definitely. I think Brene Brown has like a thing about that as well. Have you ever listened to her at all? No. Um, I never know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but uh, Brene Brown, I'll, I'll try to include a link or something. She's sort of like a research professor in social work who really emphasizes like courage, vulnerability, shame, empathy, just fascinating, like, and how being vulnerable can sort of make you a better person, but make everybody like around us better like our lives better in general and so like the more you expose who you are 
it, it really helps you connect to other people ultimately, even if there's a little bit of risk there. Um, because everybody's, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. I think that's, um, that really sort of boils down to what the point of this podcast was, why I came, uh, at this topic of like authenticity, because I felt like for the longest time, there were points, there were points in my life where I felt like I, I couldn't be myself a hundred percent, sort of what you were talking about earlier. Both of us were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I want that for everyone. I want, I want, I feel like I'm, I'm getting to a place in my life and, and I know, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but I, I'm getting to a place in my life where I feel at least comfortable, like really, really comfortable in my own skin. And I just, I, I can, I can tell anybody anything. It doesn't like, it doesn't phase me. I, I'm, I'm, an, I feel like an open book and um, I just, it's like an interesting place to be. I don't feel like worried about things. I don't stress about things as much anymore. It just like mm. takes the stress away, which is the most fascinating part about this. And I feel like the, the people that I, I interact with who feel like they have the biggest walls up, they just feel like balls of stress. And I'm like, you, like you just need to unwind. You need to just be, you need to vent. You need to do something where you're just you, whatever mm. that may be. Even if you need to step out of, of, of a certain environment, maybe it's a work environment or whatever else you're in and just like have some place where you feel like you can be you a hundred percent. Absolutely. Do you, I just so, always, you yeah, feel like ahead. this is your place. You, 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 you seem to have found your, well, several places. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think the important thing is, and this is not necessarily the case for everybody, um, but you know, don't be afraid to find it in multiple places. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something, um, and this may be something if we ever want to talk with like myself and Julianne was just finding, you know, creative things you want to do with other people and creative things you don't. Right. Yes. And I like think that's separation right. Between those. That's a good point. Yeah. Cause I think it's right. There's a certain things that right. You have to be happy by yourself before other people can make you happy. And there was, um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, no, and there's no, you know, same rules apply to creative things, I think. Wonderful. Unfortunately, I think we're winding down here. I want to uh, get to our next segment, and then eventually I'm going to follow up with a question at the end. Mm. Um, So this brings us to donations. Donation Directions. Directions on where and how to donate your donations. So I've <laughs> so I have three. Okay. Um, so first, of course, is First Robotics. You can donate to them at firstinspires.org. They do amazing events. All of everything. It's it's a nonprofit organization. All of their events are run by volunteers. All of the Long Island events are run by volunteers. There are absolutely no paid positions. Um, in the Long Island region. So love that. Uh, Rupeethon, the gaming charity that we do, our main charity is Child's Play Charity. And that was the um, charity started by Penny Arcade folks to donate games, toys, educational materials, and various things to children in hospitals, orphanages, shelters, etc. And then the last one is always just donate to your local public radio station, I think is always something healthy. And you know, every little bit helps these days. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to dive into the, the sort of final question that I've been using. And I've been putting on the guests, what would be your recommendation to for how people can live their most authentic life from your perspective? What would be your recommendation? The biggest one I have is just the thing I've been repeating to myself lately because I'm kind of in a transition period with my career 
and just in life in general is don't neglect your own character development. And if you feel like you're in the part of the story where, you know, this is the part they skip over, this is the montage part, <laughs> um, you know, maybe you should do something different. And I, if, even oh, if that's, that's like, like that. yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I got the professional certification that I did, because I just felt like I was stagnating. Mm-hmm. And then in my personal life, I was like, all right, I've visited enough Dungeons and Dragons sessions. I think I would be comfortable doing a campaign. Right. Being like it's not necessarily the most comfortable creative thing for me, but it's a notch I want in my belt, you know, and I th- think it's just, you know, say yes to things and you'll learn a little bit more about yourself in the process. Say yes to things. Yes. Oh, you know what? That makes me also think of one sort of a follow up I want to tack on. Just ask questions. You, you sort of said that earlier, but I want to bring it back around because I feel like that's another thing uh, that I, I, I've found myself just asking people hey like that like this is the thing that i want to like just you you people hold back on questions and, and it could be anything the job example i think is good but also just even for example like i have a friend that i want to talk to on the podcast and asking them like there's this nervousness but then you do mm. it and, and people are just positive negative whatever like there's they respond and then you have an answer and you move on with your life like it's this amazing thing that happens and and i feel like nine times out of ten people usually respond positive to whatever your question may be, whatever the topic. So yeah, I think that all sort of ties together. I, uh, I just want to say thank you a million times. I, I appreciate it so much. I hope you had a good time on the podcast. Thank you, Beryl. My pleasure. This is an excellent, excellent topic you're exploring here, and I look forward to the future. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. And hopefully we can have you back, or you and Julianne, or maybe Julianne at some point. Everyone can sort of listen in and, and find out more at that point. Absolutely. Whenever you want to flip flip the tables, if you need somebody to interview you, you know. Yes. Well, there's. I'm thinking about that, actually. So <laughs> we might have a whole thing where people just grill me as one of the special episodes. Maybe that'll be like the year episode yeah, or we'll, something else. Yeah, we'll do a James Lipton, Dave Chappelle thing. Yes, there you go. Okay, awesome. Well, I just have a couple final words here. Basically, everyone listening should follow on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash 2hippodcast, Twitter at two hip podcast if you are looking at the two hip podcast.com while you're signed into tumblr you can like on tumblr as well and there'll be more things coming the rss feeds are all in different uh, posts it should have it all explained there and hopefully i'll get a more aggregators soon and of course if you have comments feedback guest res- recommendations um, questions segments topics whatever send a message to hip podcast.com slash contact or you can uh, email at, I believe, 2hip at 2hippodcast.com. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. This has been the 2hip Podcast. Mm-hmm.